today we are talking about parenting, and it falls into our current series about the important issues of our time and where we should stand as God's people on those issues. You know, everything we've talked about is important. Everything we've talked about is, is a matter of, of great thought and, and, and debate within society, but if we don't invest in the next generation, none of those other issues really matter. So this message and what we're talking about today is incredibly important. And I want you to know, this is not just for parents. If you are a single person, if you are married and don't intend to have children, if you have already raised your children, your children are already grown, this message is still for you as well. And you'll find out why by the time we get to the end. But let me just say before we begin, I I owe you an apology because I really should have written this message 21 years ago. Because 21 years ago, y'all didn't know me then, but let me tell you, 21 years ago, I knew more about raising kids than anybody I knew. I I was an expert. I should have written a book. I really should have. Because what happened was that year, I became a parent for the first time, and suddenly all that knowledge was gone. It was just, it just vanished. It just went bye-bye, and, and, and I couldn't get it back. It's the weirdest thing. Being a dad is the best job I've ever had, but it's also the hardest. I love being a pastor, and, and the thing is, as hard a job as this is, as important a job as this is, most of the time I feel pretty good. Most of the time I feel like I'm doing okay. And Sunday mornings I get here, and I'm all pumped, and I'm, I'm excited to see my church family, and I'm excited to preach this message that God has had on my heart for weeks, and I just pray, hey, Lord... Just help me, you know, less of me, more of you. Just make sure the word comes through so people can hear it. But as a dad, my prayer is usually more like, Lord, just don't let me screw these kids up too bad. You know, I, I, I just pray that they'll be okay. Thank you for the, having them a good mom. I, there's a scene in Home Alone. Remember the movie Home Alone, right? There's a scene where the mom is trying to get back to her son. It's been a couple of days since she realized that they left him home by himself. And she's just distraught and she's stuck in an airport. And there's this stranger who's trying to comfort her. And he's played by John Candy. You remember the late, great John Candy. And he, he tells her a story. He says, listen, you know, we all make mistakes. Once we left our daughter in a funeral home with our dead relative's body all day, she was just there alone with the body all day. And then finally we realized and we came and we got her. And she said, you know what? She was just fine. Two, three weeks, she started talking again. Everything was great. <laughs> and he said, kids are resilient. And, and so what I say to you this morning is, I am not here today as the parenting guru. I'm John Candy, all right? I am, I am the guy who gets it wrong and, and doesn't have a clue. But what I have on my side is the Word of God. What I have to share with you today is not my expertise, but what the Bible says about parenting. The most important job we have as a parent is revealed in the passage we're going to look at today. Now, if I were to do a survey of people in this room or anywhere and say, what's the most important job that a parent has... I'd get a variety of answers, but most of them would center on one of two things, either the physical care of a child, making sure they have food, making sure they have clothing and shelter, or the preparation for that child's future, making sure they get a good education, making sure they're equipped for life, making sure you teach them qualities like self-discipline and respect for others. There are even parents who are very specific about the vision they have for their kids. I want, I want little Susie to grow up to be a world-class musician or an eminent scientist. I want little Bobby to grow up and run the family business. I want him to be successful so he can, you know, pick out a good nursing home for me or whatever. You know, I, there was a dad, and this is a true story, in the community where I grew up, there was a dad who uh, had a son who loved baseball, and he wanted his son to succeed. So he built, he built him a full-size batting cage. 
And that son actually was drafted by a major league team. So he got his wish. He didn't make it to the big leagues. But still, there are things like that that you think, okay, that's success as a parent. But what is success according to Scripture for us as moms and dads? And that's what's revealed here in Deuteronomy 6. Now, just some context. Deuteronomy is part of the Torah, the first five books of the, of the Bible. And, and specifically, this is part of the law of Moses. So God was creating in Israel a, a new kind of country. There'd never been a nation like it, and there never would be again until Christ returns. A nation where God is the king, where they have a unique covenant with God. That doesn't exist today. Even with, even with modern Israel, that doesn't exist. So in Old Testament Israel, the deal was God would be their God, and they would be his people, and he would bless them in such a way, as long as they kept his covenant, that they would draw all the nations of the world to God. So salvation would come to the world through Israel, but only if they followed this covenant. And so part of the covenant was, here's how you raise your kids. Now here's what he says in chapter 6. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all His decrees and commands that I give you, and so that, they, that, so that you may enjoy long life. Now, I need to point out when he says, so you may enjoy long life, he's not promising that every Israelite will live to 120. He's talking not about individual humans. He's talking about the nation. He's saying, you're going into this land. You're going to be this tiny little country surrounded by big, impressive countries like Egypt and Babylon and Assyria and Persia. But you're going to survive. You're going to thrive if you do these things. You're going to last as a nation if you follow these commands. And what does he command? He said, so that you and your children and your children's children may fear the Lord. That's the key. That's our job as parents, that's our job as a society, is to raise up another generation that follows Christ. This is what Vodi Bauckham calls multi-generational faithfulness, which is a really cool term for what I would call passing your faith along. Or to put it another way, as parents, our number one job is to equip our kids to know God's love and live out His purpose in our lives. Our number one job is to equip our kids that they can know God's love in a personal, saving way and live out the unique, wonderful purpose for which He has created each one. That's our job, more than anything else. He goes on, because what does that faith look like? Look at verse 4. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That verse right there, you may not be familiar with it, but if you grew up Jewish, you would know that verse. That is, that is the key verse in all of Judaism. That's, that's to Jews what John 3.16 is to us. They call it the Shema. S-H-E-M-A. That's the Hebrew word for hear. This is the one. This is the verse they center on. And then it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And as Christians, we identify with that because we know that one day someone asked Jesus, what's the most important command? And he pointed to that one. He quoted Deuteronomy 6.5, and he tied it in with a verse from Leviticus. He said, and also, love your neighbor as yourself. So that's the content of the faith we're supposed to pass along to our kids and our grandkids, that they would know that there is one God, that He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we need to love Him and love our neighbors, and if we do those things, we are on the right track. He goes on to say, 
These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So those last two verses, the Jews in the ancient world and even Orthodox Jews today took those literally. So if you're an Orthodox Jew today, or if you were a Jew in the ancient world, you would wear what the New Testament calls a phylactery. You you hear them talk about that when they're debating with Jesus. And a phylactery was a little leather box that you would wear on a strap around your forehead or around your wrist, and it would contain Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema. A little piece of uh, fabric or, or paper written with that scripture on it would be inside that box, and you would wear it at all times because they took this literally. Anybody here ever see the movie or the play Fiddler on the Roof? Anybody? Yeah, that's good, isn't it? Tradition, right? So good stuff, but there's, there's, there's this part you might not see, you might not have noticed, but in the movie or the play, whenever Tevye, this, this Russian Jewish uh, dairyman, whenever he comes home at the end of each day, he walks up to his door and he kisses his fingers and he touches his doorpost. He's touching the Shema. Now, as Christians, we believe that Jesus didn't, or God didn't give that to be taken simply literally. It's, there's, it's not that it's wrong to take it literally. It's just don't leave it there. He meant more than just put it on a box or put it on your doorpost. He meant drill these commands down deep into your soul, into your mind. Let this be the air you breathe, the way you think, what guides your everyday actions. Now, I need to stop and say this. We're talking today about how it is our job as parents more than anything else, to equip our kids to know the Lord. And yet all of us can tell stories about a family where maybe there's three kids, four kids, two kids, whatever, and they're all raised in church and the parents give them the same kind of love and and, and pour into them as, as best they can. And some of the kids follow Christ and some of them choose not to. And some of, those, some of those families are here today. Some of those, there are parents in this room who would say, yeah, that's the story of my life. That's my heartbreak, that I have a daughter, I have a son who, who hasn't followed in the faith that I tried to pass down to her. And if you're one of those parents, I just want you to know, that's not your fault. You did what you could do. You are only human. You gave them your love. You prayed for them. You're still praying for them. And God has not given up on your son or daughter. He is... He is sending them signs every day of His love. He is is sending them people to witness to them in various ways. You keep praying. You keep loving them and just see what God can do. And and, and, don't, don't give up because God won't give up. But don't feel today that you have failed because there is no magic bullet as a parent. This is one of the scary things as a mom or a dad is you can do everything you know to do. And you can pour your heart into raising your child to know the Lord, and they have their own free will. They can choose any path they want. But what can we do? What does it mean to try to pass your faith along? What what does God recommend? What does God command? He says, take these commands and impress them upon your children. He's talking about making this your goal, being intentional about this. There are moments of every day that you've set aside to do certain things with your kids, to get them ready for school if they're small, to uh, have dinner together. Hopefully you do that. Boy, that is so key. But he says, make this an intention too. Man, when your kids are small, take advantage of the opportunity to teach them Bible stories. Because kids, when they're little, love stories. When they get older, they're going to find you boring. But, bef- but now, 
When they think you're fascinating and you're the most interesting thing on earth, tell them the stories of the Bible because they're great stories. And you may say, but they're so violent. Kids love that. Tell them the stories of the Bible. Teach them to pray. Pray alongside them. Teach them songs, spiritual songs, old hymns and new songs on the radio. They'll love them. Those songs will sink down deep in their souls and someday when they're off at college, and they'll remember those songs. They'll come back to them. And, and not just formal things like, okay, today's the, now's the time we do our family devotion. If you do that, good on you. But that's not all that I'm talking about. He says, talk about these things when you're on the road, when you walk along the way. He's talking about just everyday life, how God should be part of your regular conversation. And it doesn't have to be phony. It doesn't have to be, you know, you get the preacher voice or anything like that. It, it's just... It, it, mention God. Mention what you read in the Bible this morning when you were having your quiet time. When, you're, when your child is having a problem with something, instead of just giving them your guidance, say, let's pray about this right now. I, I know this, this kid at school is picking on you. And I know it's Bob. Let's pray for him right now. I, I know you're having trouble in this class and it's, it's, it's really worrying you. Let's pray, about, let's pray for your teacher. Let's pray for you. Let's pray for your fellow students. Pour yourself into showing them what it means to follow Christ. Let me ask you this. How often do you ask your child, if, you're, if your kids are young, how often do you ask them, what did y'all study today in life group? How often do you do, for that matter, do you bring them to life group? Come on. I mean, this is a time every week when some really, really talented and dedicated volunteers have prepared a Bible lesson and your kid gets to sit with other kids his or her age and hear that story. Bring them and then ask them, what did they study? And they probably won't know, but help them. Remind them. Oh yeah, that's what we learned. Debrief the sermon for them. I'm, I know. I know they're not listening to me right now. I, they're listening to the stuff they don't need to hear, right? You know, if I say something you don't want them to hear, they're like, hey, preacher said this. This is a true story. When, when Will was little, I was driving him to preschool one day, and, and Will was a real easy little kid, so he was just back there in his own little world. So I was actually listening to myself preach on a podcast. And I was like, okay, so I'm critiquing myself. And so after about five minutes, I hear this little voice from the back seat and he goes, dad, is that you again? So yeah, I know, I know your kids aren't mesmerized by me and you don't have to be either, but debrief with them. Say, hey, here's what we talked about today in church. Here's some of the songs we sang. What do you think about this? Make sure they understand. Don't waste this time. And then he goes on in, in verse 20. He says, In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and to give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as He has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. So the premise that Moses is going on here is he's saying, your kids are going to ask you someday, hey, mom, dad, why do we live this way? Why do we follow these laws? Why do we observe these things? Why do we have these festivals and feasts and offer these sacrifices? And he said, here's what you're supposed to tell them. Tell them the story. Here's what God's done for us. The same thing applies to you today, mom, dad. Your kids should at times ask you, hey, why do you believe this? 
Why do we do this? Why do we go to church? How come, how come even though we've been on a trip late on a Saturday, we still get up early and go to church? How come when we're out of town, we go to church out of town? How come, how come we don't do that when my neighbor's friends and my neighbor's kids do that? Why don't we participate with them? How come, how come we give our time to this ministry? They, they should see some difference in you, and you get to tell them, here's why. So, so think about it for a moment. Do your kids know how you came to know the Lord? Do your children, if I went to your kids and said, how did your mom or dad become a Christian? Could they give your testimony? They should be able to. And, and if you get nothing else from this message today, go home at some point today and say, hey, kids, let me tell you how I came to faith. They'll, they'll, they'll cherish that knowledge. Do your kids know what your spiritual gifts are? Could your kids say, yeah, my mom's a great Bible teacher. My dad, he's a real prayer warrior. My mom is really, really generous. My dad, he's got all these building skills and he's always going and helping people in their house. Do your kids know the, the things that break your heart? The, the causes that are dear to you? Do your kids know, hey, my dad's got this guy at work that he's really witnessing to. I'm praying for him too. My mom has this neighbor and, and she just got a divorce and so we're praying for them. Do your kids know what you believe and why? They should know these things. Live out your faith before them. Even the warts. Even tell them, here's some mistakes I've made along the way and here's what I learned from them. See, here's the thing. You, you're not going to want to hear this, but it's true. You as a mom or a dad, you're the pastor of your home. Moms and dads are co-pastors of their home. Just like I'm the pastor of this church and, and I can't choose Christ for any of you, but I can pray for you and I can, I can preach it and I can live it out as best I can and I can try to guide you. That's your job in that little congregation that is your home. And I know, I know immediately you, you, a lot of you are like, wait a second, uh, you're throwing up de defenses to that and objections, so I want to deal with some of those objections and then we're done, okay? Then you can go treat mom, all right? Objection number one. Some would say, well, that's the church's job. That's why I bring them to church. I, I put clothes on their backs. I put food on the table. You tell them about God. That's the arrangement, okay? And the problem with that idea, there's actually two problems. One is, we have access to your kids maybe one or two hours a week if you bring them every week. You've got them all week long. You've got constant access. They are, they are your captive audience. I mean, they want to eat, they're going to stay at home, right? They want to survive, they're going to stick around. So you have the opportunity to share all of this with them. But the, the bigger reason is the idea that it's the church's job that, that spirituality should be outsourced is completely unbiblical. Get this, when Moses was giving these commands uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, do you know that there was an entire army of professional religious guys in Israel? It was a whole tribe. There were 12 tribes of Israel. One whole tribe was dedicated to serving God in a, in a, on a professional level, and that was the Levites. All they did was offer sacrifices and tend to the temple, and they were the religious professionals. And God could have easily said, okay, you Levites, you're going to be the religious instructors of Israel. I want you to form little Sabbath schools for all the kids, and, and Moses, you can be the superintendent. But he didn't do that. Instead, he said... Mom, Dad, it's your job. You raise them up. You teach them. You show them the way. In fact, please hear everything I'm about to say. Don't take anything I'm about to say out of context. Please, please, please. You ready? 
There's nothing in the Bible that says that every church should have a children's ministry. Did you know that? Nowhere in the Scriptures does it say, thou shalt have a children's ministry in thy church. Nowhere in Scripture does it say there should be a Sunday school. Do you know Sunday school is only about 200 years old? Now, that doesn't mean those things are wrong. In fact, I think they're a good idea. There's nothing in the Bible about air conditioning either, and I'm pretty doggone happy about that. <laughs> Children's ministry is great, but it's not commanded in the Word of God. You and me telling our kids about God is commanded in the Word of God. Second objection, I'm not capable. I'm good at a lot of things, but I'm not good at spiritual things. I'm just not good at that. So maybe someone else who's better at it should do it instead of me. And, and what I'd say to that is it's all about priorities. There, I'm, I imagine there's a lot of dads who would use this one. They'd say, I can, I can teach them how to field dress a deer. I can teach them how to bait a hook. I can teach them how to throw a curveball. I can teach them how to burp the alphabet. But I cannot... I just don't know the Bible all that well, and I don't, know, I don't know that much about prayer, and when people ask spiritual questions, it just goes over my head. And I would say to that, it's about priorities. Because if your child had a heart defect, would you say, eh, I'm just not that into medicine. I didn't do well in biology in high school. Don't really like all that blood and gut stuff, so, you know, he's on his own. No. I know y'all. I know enough of you to know you would study. This is where the internet is your friend, right? You'd go onto every website. You'd, you'd know everything there was to know about the heart. You'd be practically a cardiologist by the time you were done because you know you can't heal that child's heart, but you would want to know every particular option you have. Well, guess what, mom, dad? Your son or daughter has a soul defect, it was born into them. It's called a sin nature. And my kids have it too. And my parents' kids had it too. How about that? And, and if there's not a miraculous intervention, then that child is going to follow that sin nature. And, by the way, that clown car full of idiots he calls friends. And together, they're going to plunge over the precipice into all kinds of destruction and nastiness and make terrible decisions and wreck their lives. And the only thing that's going to stop that is the intervention of the Holy Spirit, the grace of God. And you can't make that happen, but you can do everything you can to create the environment where it's likely. Where your child will say, I want what mom has. I want what dad has. I want what I was raised with. So you do what it takes, even if you don't feel capable. That's your job as a parent. Number three, there's the excuse that says, well, I don't want to force my beliefs on my kids. And I get that one. And I think a lot of us get that one. Because, okay, can we be honest? We're in church. Let's be real. We've all seen the nightmare fundamentalist parents from hell. You know who I'm talking about? Maybe you were raised with their kids and their kids went to school every day in a coat and tie, and their kids um, had to stay home all the time because their mom and dad thought anybody not related to us is the devil, and their parents had all these weird, unbiblical, super hyper-legalistic hyper beliefs, and their kids just seemed miserable all the time. And then the child graduates and gets out of the house. And what happens? That child goes bonkers, just tries every dumb decision, every evil thing this world has to offer because 
they're finally free. And you watched that, and you watched that child go down the tubes, and you said, I'm not going to make that mistake. I'm not going to force my beliefs on my kids. They're going to decide for themselves so they won't go crazy when they get to be adults. And I, to that I say, okay, number one, yes, there is definitely a wrong way to pass your faith along. One of my favorite verses as a father that keeps coming back to me is Colossians 3.21. Colossians 3.21, by the way, when it says fathers, it's, it's, it's addressing all of us as parents. It says fathers... Do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. That word embitter, it can also be translated exasperate. It can also be translated provoked to anger. So what it's talking about is a father or mother who says, I'm going to control this child and I'm going to fit them into my narrow mold and everything they do, every decision they make, I'm going to make sure they do exactly what I want them to do and I'm going to shield them from everything that I don't want them to have. And eventually that child just, just breaks out of that shell, just is provoked to so much anger. They go their own way and to that, I, I think one of the best pieces of advice I ever read when I was a, early in the parenting, and that's when all that knowledge that I used to have went away, I, I, I made up for it in some extent by reading books of actual experts, and one of them was James Dobson. And one of the things he said was, parents, you have to choose your battles. You can't be hyper on top of everything. In fact, he said, as a dad, as a mom, say yes to as much as you can so that when you say no, it counts. So, you know, your, your, your son wants, wants to get a hairstyle that you don't really like and you have to say, well, maybe I just need to let that one go because I want to be able to stand up when there's something that really matters. And your daughter's listening to music you don't necessarily like and she thinks your music's lame and you're like, okay, that's all right because that's not a big deal, but this over here is. So, yeah, choose your battles wisely. Stand up on the things that matter. Explain why you have to say no when you say no. Tell that boy why he can't go to that party. Tell that girl why she can't date that boy. Tell them why they can't watch that TV show or that movie, why they can't go to that website. Tell, tell them why these things are wrong. You cannot force them from, uh, shield them from all evil. In fact, this is a great opportunity. They're under your home. They're under your roof. This is a great opportunity for you to process with them this world and all the things it offers and show them, here's why we don't go this direction. Here's why this is the right way to live. But for every one of those parents who tries too hard to control their kids and force them down the right path, there's at least 50 more who abdicate their responsibility entirely. And they say, I just don't want to force my beliefs on my kids. And think about the logic of that. Let me ask you something. Do you force your kids to brush their teeth? I mean, really. Do you force your kids to bathe? When they hit puberty, for goodness gracious sakes, do you force them to wear deodorant? Please tell me you do. If, if you were looking out the window and you had a three or four year old and they were playing in the street, would you say to yourself, you know, one of my highest values is personal safety, but I don't want to force that value on my toddler. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to live out before them an example of personal safety. And as they grow up, I'm going to hope they embrace my values too. No, you're going to drag that child the heck out of the street and you're going to tell them why that's a bad idea. Should you drag them to church? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good idea. Should you tell them why? Please, please do. Don't abdicate your responsibility thinking that, well, they're going to rebel against it. Tell them why this is so important. 
Obviously, they'll get to an age where you can't bring them to church if they don't want to go anymore. That happens. That's, that happens to lots of good families. But while you can, show them this is what counts. This is what matters. And even when that happens, love them. Love them for who they are. Show them you're God's child and I'm praying for you. And then there's the final excuse, and this is the one I think a bunch of you use. I don't have kids. This is not my sermon. I don't have kids. I'm safe. I don't have to worry about this. Did you hear the baby dedication earlier, by the way? Did you hear what Joni said? She asked those families, do you pledge to raise these children up and, and help them to come to know Christ as best you can. Kids, I mean, parents can't choose faith for the kids, so that's not what these parents were doing. They weren't saying, I, I now give this child to the Lord and now he is yours. No, they were saying, I'm going to do what I can to raise them up so that they hopefully will choose you when they're able to choose. But did you hear the second thing she said? She said, church, will you do your best to support them, to help them, to show them the way? See, we all have a responsibility we do that every time we do a baby dedication because we want us to remember that we all have a responsibility to the next generation. Whether you're childless, whether you've got children, whether you've already raised your children. Let me ask you this. If you're, especially if you're older, maybe you've already raised your kids, maybe you didn't have kids. Do you know some young Christian couples that you're praying for? Doing the world's hardest job right now. They need your support. They need your love. They need your prayers. Do you do that? When's the last time you took one of them out to eat? When's the last time you said, hey, mom, dad, why don't you all go out to eat and we'll watch the kids for a little while? When's the last time you did that for someone who you're not related to? How often do you volunteer for our children's ministry? So, if you are still physically fit enough that when you get on a floor, you can get back up again? You know what I mean? Because... We all get to that point someday where we can't anymore. But if you're still physically fit enough where you can get up on your own and you can pass a background check and you don't actually hate children, okay? If, you, if you've got those three qualities, you should be volunteering in the children's ministry. VBS, nursery, life group, wherever you can plug in. We need your help. Think about how you can help the students in our church. We've got teenagers, this growing student ministry. And, and a lot of our teenagers that we're reaching, their families don't go to church here. Some of them don't go to church anywhere. We've got a fantastic opportunity there. Do you realize that today, one of the big crises in the church is kids are growing up in church and they're growing up in youth group and some of them are maintaining their faith and they get out of the house and they move to another town and they get involved in church there and they raise up kids who go to church and others grow up in church and grow up in youth group and as soon as they're out of the house, church is like past history for them. And so there's been a lot of research. What makes the difference between kids that continue in their faith and kids that don't? And one of the things, one study I read, the key fact they discovered was the kids who continued in their faith, what separated them from the kids who didn't was those kids had at least five adults who weren't their mom and dad or grandma or grandpa, at least five adults, Christian adults, who invested in their lives. Doesn't mean five Sunday school teachers necessarily or youth group leaders, but five adults who knew them by name who could say, how'd your game go this week? Hey, I know you broke up with your girlfriend. Are you doing okay? How you doing? Hey, I've heard about your grandma. I'm praying for her. Five Christian adults 
who invest in your life can make all the difference. And you can be one of those five. By the way, are you somebody who encourages and supports Kathy Talbot, our children's minister, and, and Christian Nance, our student minister? I don't mean, do you give them advice? I mean, would they call you a friend? Would they say, this is someone who makes my load a little bit lighter? Because I, got, I can tell you something about those two people. The devil hates those two people because they're doing the Lord's work and the devil can't stand that. And he would love to burn them out, to chew them up and spit them out because the world is littered with former youth ministers and former children's ministers who got burned out because they were serving the Lord and trying to serve families and the churches didn't support them. So love on these people, support them, encourage them. Y'all do a great job of supporting me. I hope you do a good job of supporting them. And by the way, there's lots of young people outside this church that need us too. So have you considered mentoring? There's a great mentoring ministry in our community led by a member of our church, Angela Matthews. She's here right now. I will not make her stand up, but you can talk to her if you're interested. Alan Armstrong and Nathan Brown are both part of that. They both mentor. You can talk to one of them and they can get you plugged in. So there's all kinds of ways to invest in the next generation. Because you may think to yourself, I've already raised my kids. It's funny, there was a, a church where I pastored and there was a, a, a nursery coordinator there who, who got frustrated and she came to me and said, it's so frustrating because I talk to these people who've raised kids and their kids are all grown and I say, hey, will you help me in the nursery? And, and they'd say, no, I've done that. My kids are grown. My time is done. It's someone else's turn. And she'd say, and these are the same people who wonder why our church isn't reaching young families. And, and y'all, I know guilt is a lousy motivator, but there you go. If it's what I got, I'm going to use it. See, you're not done. You're not done. Even if you're one of those adults who can't get up off the floor anymore, you can pray. You can support. You can financially send someone to student camp or children's camp. See, the, the next generation is worth investing in. Probably more than anything you're spending money on or time on right now. And here's what brings us all together. Here's what we all have in common. See, there was a time when we were that lost and foolish soul. Some of us still are. And Jesus thought that you were worth, you were worth investing in. And he didn't just invest his time. He didn't just invest his money. He invested his life. He gave his life to build a bridge so you could get to where you need to go. You could get to reconciliation with God. You could get to the path God created for you from the very beginning. That's what we have in common. That's the good news that we bring to the world. That's the good news that we need to pass along to the next generation.